What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 175 of the Justin Insight podcast, uh, a show where we'd usually talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Um, but as is annual, yearly, what's the word I'm looking for? Tradition, there we go. Um, I'm sat in my brother's living room, so for regular listeners, they'll know that that means our end of the year albums of the year list. If anyone can hear a squeak, that's because there's a new addition to to the Birkbeck household. Little little Reggie, the Dachshund, 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 Dachshund. Dachshund. Um, so yeah, we're gonna have a little Sorry, bit of okay. ambiance yeah. in this episode. <laughs> wear and he, he might yeah. chirp in with his own little little bits. We don't know. We'll wait and see. Um, but yeah, how Ginch? How are you? How's I'm all right, man. Yeah, I'm good. What are you doing? Come here. Um, <laughs> I'm good, yeah, I'm full up with pizza, full up with beer, I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready to sit and chill and talk about music, if you were willing to do that as well. Are um, you to do that? In terms of, like, 2020, obviously, it's been a fucking shit year, but, like, in terms of, like, mu- like music, there's been loads of really cool music out this year, but have you found the way that you've kind of consumed it differed at all this year? Not really, no. Um, I think I've stuck to my usual roots, um, like, you know... I'm I'm not one to be on the ball too much and like I haven't gone out of my way too much as I like to say every year, which is like I said, I haven't really broke tradition tradition in that sense. Um I've just kept up with my usual faves and like if people chuck new things my way, whether it be on SoundCloud, you know, Bandcamp, all that kind of stuff, I do try to generally take the time out. I mean I've had extra time this year, obviously, where I've been indoors more to check out more quote unquote underground stuff so that's been yeah. quite nice because where usually i've just you know i'll stick on six music and i'll go from there so yeah it has been nice to actually take a bit of time out to find new underground artists and things yeah. like that that's the thing like i've so this like whole year because obviously like the way that digital releases have gone they always come like new releases come out on fridays and mm. stuff now and i found myself like every friday like i'll get the normal spotify release radar whatever blah 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 but I'll go on to Bandcamp and look at the new releases on there as well. Yeah. Which is something that I hadn't kind of previously done. And I like it's throwing up some like really cool, like little, none of which, well, one, but I kind of knew about it anyway, have appeared in my top 10. But like, yeah, there's been some really cool albums that have sort of come out through that sort of thing. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, as always, yeah, we're going to talk about our. Our top tens, like favorite, like full length records. Um, there's a couple of EPs that I want to talk about at the end. So if there's any that you can think of, well, I've got head. I've got a shitload of honorable mentions. So does that count? I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do like as always. We'll do honorable mentions like before we hit our yeah. hit our number one. Fucker. <laughs> it's gonna be a it's lot of that. Nowhere on my feet. Um, but I'm gonna kick things off. So my number ten is. The reason I want to kind of kick it off is because it's like the newest release that's in this and it's only only came out, uh, so at the time we were recording this two weeks ago, but like I had it a little bit longer because of, I get promo copies and stuff and it sat with me and like on first, so the album's um, Reluctant Hero by Killer Be Killed. So I heard that like they released the single and I was sort of like, okay, like it's a bit kind of rock in some aspects, but obviously it's 
a super group of like incredible people. It's like Greg Pasciuto, Max Cavalera, um, Troy Sanders from Mastodon, and Ben Collar. And obviously, like straight away, Ben Collar, I'm like, oh, hello, I'm going to be interested in this. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah, that's, that was my thought as well. Yeah, and but like, so weirdly, like I heard of Killer Be Killed because of Ben Collar because he has it in his Twitter bio. And it's obviously has like Ben Collar, drummer of Converge, Mutored Man, and Killer Be Killed. And I hadn't heard of them at the time. So I was sort of like, okay, like this was before the record came out. So I thought, right, I'm going to check this out. And it, like, I think their last record was like, what, like 2014, maybe? And I was sort of like, I don't get it. Because it was very sort of like hard rock kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then when they announced to do this album, I was a bit like, okay, like I'll give it a go. And I said, I can't remember the name, what the track was, the first song they dropped, but it was very like catchy rock and things like that. And then the album came out and it's just like banger after banger. And like those four people in one band, like I've had conversations with this with, with various people saying like, Generally, supergroups never work. Yeah, but this one really does, and it's yeah. I think just think it's like one of those records where it's very much a grower, and since its release, has been one that's been on heavy rotation for me. Okay, cool. And um, I think like the way that, like as I say, like when you kind of think specifically, like take away like Ben Collar because he's the drummer, but the three of them have all distinctive voices and you kind of think, how is that going to work in one setting? But they do all have like their time to sort of shine and, yeah. and things like that. And weirdly, like even though Troy is like the, the kind of mate, well, latterly like the main vocalist for, for Mastodon, you think like Greg Pachuto is going to be the one that's taking the lead, but it's mm. not, it is Troy. Okay. And it's cool that like, the kind of like difference between his voice and Greg's like it, it balances really well and yeah it's not like too heavy of one person and too much of another there are songs on it when you, where you kind of like okay this was definitely written by Max Cavallaro and right. this is definitely written by Troy Sanders kind yeah. of thing um but like the like the first half of the album like the first like three or four tracks like just run seamlessly into each other and i think that's a, a really good way to kind of start any record yeah because it's like instantly has you in and like yeah so that's my number 10 nice i mean uh, i think i maybe checked out i think they they drop a couple of singles yeah 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 i mean I, I admittedly i didn't gel with <clears throat> any of it right away oh, the only thing that really lured me in was Ben Collar because yeah. I'm such a big fan of his drumming um, you know Macedon haven't really done a lot for me recently and Max Cavalera um, what's, he did like a solo project possibly. well he did, he did the um, Cavalera Conspiracy that's right yeah. was where it's him and Eagle basically yeah. doing their greatest hits yeah. And uh, Dillinger Escape Plan is another band I haven't really paid a lot of attention to for a while so I, was, I wasn't really expecting a lot and I didn't really, uh, <clears throat> I didn't really get a lot from what the singles were offering either. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I was the kind of the same. <clears throat> Those the singles, I was a bit sort of like, okay, this is cool. Like 
obviously Ben Collar's drumming on it is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, it goes without saying. But then, yeah, like I think when you hear the album as a whole, it kind of works as as a piece. And I think like to to fanboy on Ben Collar a little bit, it's not that his drumming is like like uh, stereotypical for the music he plays, like obviously with Converge's like really fast blast beats and things like that. Then in Mutoid Man, it's still elements of that, but there's like kind of more jazzier elements. Yeah. And with this, it's more like, there's some straight like 4-4 beats and stuff on there and things. And it's quite interesting to hear him play that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think like it gives him an opportunity to almost show off how good a drummer he is. Because like, like with the Converge stuff, you're always kind of listening out for those like really insane like fast bits and the blast beats. Whereas yeah, this is, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Whereas yeah. this is like you can actually hear like how technical a drummer he is and things yeah. like that, which I think is really cool. Excellent. Cool, go on then. Right, what's your number 10? My number 10 is quite aptly named The Great Dismal by <laughs> Nothing. Um, well, I guess yeah, you didn't really touch on it a lot about this year. I thought you'd. I, I guess in some way I thought you'd give a bit more of a grand old introduction to this year. <laughs> well, just to sort of clarify, like what the hell happened this year and whatever, and it, you know, and it wasn't. It was. It sucked. Let's, yeah. let's just say that. I mean, we don't really need to dwell on it too much. Um, and I feel like this record was a, kind of an amalgamation of what happened this year. And yeah. I mean, they they kind of. From what I understand, they got in touch with producer Will Yip and said, right, it's time for another record. And he said, well, these these are weird times. I don't know how you want to play this. So what they did is they locked himself in the studio for like four months and they said to each other, let's make the best record we could possibly do. And I honestly think they achieved it. Mm. Um, and like, not only is it their best record, and I, I, I honestly am very pleased for them all. I know that sounds really odd. <laughs> Hear me out on this, because like they've all been through so much. If you read, if you've read anything about this band, they've just they've had such a story. Like Nicky, the singer, he spent time in jail. Yeah, and, uh, their lead guitarist, like he had severe mental health problems, and he had to kind of bow out of the band. You could tell like this band was like his life and soul. So they end up getting in touch with, uh, or no, sorry, I think they're probably friends already with. Uh, Dylan, is it Dylan? Doyle, sorry, from Cloakroom. Oh yeah, yeah who yeah. actually replaced him? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so then, so now that obviously they had a bit of a kerfuffle with their ex bass player as well because he was in the band Weir. Yeah, obviously, you know, you, if you know anything about Weir, they had problems of their own as well. So the full lineup now is um, Doyle from Cloakroom on guitar and Aaron from Jesus Peace on bass. Yeah. And they had their original drummer. So they all got together in uh, Will Yip's studio and just locked down with each other for four months solid. Like they lived together, they ate together, and they had a real sort of vision of how they wanted this album to sound. And I think Will Yip only just come off the back of doing the Code Orange record. Okay. So he was like, I've sort of broadened my producer. Um, Oh, skills is probably the wrong way to work because he's a very skilled producer, but like, uh, broadened my palette, I yeah. guess. So he, I think n n nothing wanted a very particular 
a sound for this new record. And it's a bit, it's a very, it's much more brighter sounding and it's heavier, it's more passionate. And personally, I think, because they, do you remember the split they did with Weir? Weir, yeah, yeah. It's one of the nothing records. So weirdly, like between them and Weir, Weir were the one that like kind of got me into that. Like I was kind of a fan of like the whole kind of shoe gaze, doom gaze sort of stuff anyway. Yeah. But Weir were kind of the one that I was like, oh, I'm into this. And then because of the split, I got into nothing. Yeah. But then nothing kind of overtook that. And like, I was yeah. like, no, this is more my yeah. leanings kind yeah. of thing. So nothing, the nothing track on that split was probably my favourite track they've ever done. Okay. So I mean, because I got into them when they first started. So that that first EP or slash album, that downward years to come, whatever. Yeah, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. It was very much more in the shoegazy world rather than like when when they they would inevitably go more sort of grungy and a bit more heavier. So yeah, they did that record and they did. Guilty of Everything, which I thought was okay. Um, oh, I loved Guilty of Everything. It was, else. I mean, yeah, it, it missed something. That's all I can say. It was, for me, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And then after that was Tired of Tomorrow, which was honestly a bit more of the same. Mm. And then it was, what was the other one? Um, Dance on the Blacktop. That, that's the one. Which is, again, it was a bit more of the same, but of, of like a about a 50% improvement. Yeah. And basically up until that point, nothing had really clicked with me with this band, even though I wanted to love them because it, everything about them on paper, I wanted to like, yeah. But then they put out this record and I said, fucking yes, guys, you've done it. (laughs) Like you've actually done it. You've made the perfect record. I mean, it sounds fantastic. Um, it's not like, it's not like they've gone outside of their world of influences. They've stuck to what they know. Yeah. But they, they basically aced every different part of it. And the singer, um, Nicky, he's very open about what his influences, which is like My Bloody Valentine, Cocteau Twins, I think, all like basically some of my top 10 favourite bands. Yeah, yeah. And he's just basically made what he could possibly get out of this shit situation, which is like lockdown, no touring, etc., etc. And said, right, let's put together the best record we've ever made. Yeah. And I think they've done it. Honestly, I think they I do. I 100% agree. Like, as I said, I, I loved Guilty of Everything. And similar to, to you, like, after that, they kind of dropped off for me a little bit because I thought... So, Tired of Tomorrow, for me, like, just it fell really flat, personally. Yeah. Whereas then Dance on the Blacktop, as you say, was kind of heading on that upward incline kind of thing. But this is like where um, Dance on the Blacktop was like a gradual grow. They kind of just went like, we're going to take a massive jump. And that's what this record is like. Yeah. And yeah, it's hands down easily like the best record they've they've done. Yeah. And I think, again, you hit the nail on the head. Like it does feel brighter, but at the same time, like they've obviously taken into context like their quote-unquote story yeah as well as everything that's happening around not just them but like the world in general but like it's kind of like that it's almost like a yin and yang like the music is really like bright and airy but the lyrics are quite somber and dark yeah and i think like nothing of one of the best bands at doing that and they've really kind of showcased it on this on this record 100 percent 
Um, I forgot to kind of like say off the top, but I don't. I think this might be the first year where we don't have a lot of overlap in our top tens. I think. Let me just have I a quick look. I think there'll be look. one, maybe two tops. Yeah, I was going to say. I think my list. Sorry, I think my my list might surprise you a little bit. Actually, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you know, paying attention to what I've been listening to this year, but I've kind of like, like I said, I've had time to sort of branch out a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I'd say one. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's two because there might be one in my top ten that obviously you know that I like, but you may not have expected to get in my top ten, but. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that um so number nine again i'll start this one i don't know if you've even heard of this band but they are basically kind of me in a nutshell in some aspect um the band's called change uh they're a melodic hardcore bands and the album's called closer still yeah. and it's literally just like a perfect melodic hardcore album it's got really good like gang charm bits it's got really good like two-step bits, like the lyrics of uh, stuff that you, like just sort of stick with you really easily like to sing along to. It's And it's kind of got that kind of youth crew revival sort of feel to it, which is obviously for anyone that knows me is what I absolutely love when it comes to sort of hardcore music. Um, but this it's weird. Like this is a project by, um, well, it's, they're obviously a full band, but... The vocalist, um, I can't remember his name now, but he was in some other sort of like late 90s, early 2000s sort of like melodic hardcore, but like no one of like massive note that I can remember off the top of my head. But he'd obviously kind of been around the time when sort of like Bane and Have Heart, Defeater and stuff were at their peaks of their powers. And he's kind of like, gone back to that but given it a fresh sort of gloss of paint but also like it's weird even though he's an older dude it, it feels like youthful music and I know we've had the conversation around One Step Closer like you not being a, a massive fan of that band whereas I am this kind of like ebbs on that sort of line of, of the new wave of hardcore we're seeing even though these are older dudes they know the direction that hardcore's going. And yeah, like, and it's really cool because like they kind of change up what they're kind of going for in terms of sort of like the sound in some of their music. So like there's one song where there's a very clear like Bad Brains influence and then there's one song that's got like a very clear kind of like mindset influence on it and things like that. And Again, like I remember reading an interview with him, and he said that like he's very influenced by like reggae and and things like that. It's not he's not just a pure I love hardcore kind of guy, and and you can kind of hear those influences coming throughout the record as well. Fucking state of my head. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, but another thing, like weirdly, I don't know why, but like when you look at the tra- track list of this album, it's really aesthetically pleasing because they're all just one word. Yeah. So it's like closer, reason, free, beyond, still. And I think like it kind of sums up like what each song is about as well, rather than it being like 
this song is called blah 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 blah, blah. like they everything about this album is like because it's quite fast as well is like really succinct and yeah i just like the fact that it's a band that have clearly like come from the hardcore world yeah and put a lot of thought and effort into it rather than it just being let's scrap something together and we'll put this out because like right. again like reading interviews with him like he's got a family he he runs his own business and stuff out, out in the states so he's not particularly looking for this project to be actively on the road all the time and things like this he just won, wanted it as an outlet because he has mm. all this stuff going on in his personal life at the time like i think he went through like a, a spate of depression and like having the band name change is a very like clear signal to that it's, it's, yeah, it's like very that. on the head yeah. but like he, he said like that's the point i wanted it to be that yeah um and yeah i just like straight edge hardcore of course i'm gonna like it so yeah. this is this is my number nine excellent yeah i'll check that out i don't i don't think i ever got around to like uh giving that a listen so i will do cool. right your number nine my number nine is again very aptly named songs by adrian linker okay so i think the last time she put out a record was um she just missed my list of that year which is i think 2018 mm. so yeah otherwise it would have been in my top 10 uh, records of that year which was abyss kiss which is like it was just a perfect sort of really m melancholy kind of folky kind of singer songwriter thing mm. and uh she then went on to, I don't know if Big Thief formed before or after her solo thing. I'm not too sure yeah. what the uh, sort of time frame of that is. But um, I think Big Thief started making a name for themselves oh, after yeah. she did this Yeah, because So I knew Big Thief before her solo stuff. Oh, right. Okay. Like, <laughs> Reggie. Reggie. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like... I was yeah, I was familiar with Big Thief's music and then I realised she'd done the, the solo stuff. Yeah. So I wasn't like obviously in retrospect I've gone back and checked I've listened to her solo stuff, but I was more familiar with the Big Thief stuff. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um So yeah, I mean like I'm gonna I don't know if this is a hot take or what, but I honestly think her solo stuff is better than Big Thief. Okay. I mean, it's, it just resonates with me better. I think, like, where she obviously takes the time in her own space to write her own songs and just like, really get reflective and mm. take time to write the songs the way that she wants them to be written maybe works in her favour a little bit. Yeah. So, and, like, because Big Thief put, like, a, a big double EP out, LP out last, last year, year. yeah. And I wanted so much to like them both. But it just didn't really happen for me, unfortunately. Okay. So, um, I think I've got a differing view, but that's because I spent a lot of time. Yeah, with I, them. yeah, I can probably imagine. So, yeah, she's, um, I guess, in a way, she's just she writes the songs the way I'd want songs to be written if I was on if I was writing my own album or EP. Yeah, and I think like so people have heard me tell this story before, but obviously, like where they like Ithaca toured with them was like grateful enough to spend some time with Big Thief and in comparison to like again this isn't 
diminishing Buck's influence or anything like that. But the difference between them two is almost yin and yang. Like, not that they're like one person's this type of person, but like Adrian is very much like you can have a more of a conversation with her compared to Buck, and she's very open yeah. and stuff when she talks. And when she talks about music, you can tell like that is her life. Yeah. And like she's always kind of like thinking about like how she's going to structure things and like even sort of like the big thief sets like she i remember like one night she was saying they've got like a general structure but the rest of it is quite fluid okay and you can kind of feel that in her music in terms of like the way that she writes is like okay she might have a a structure for the album but like when it comes to each song it's gonna go where it wants to go it's not gonna be very sort of in a box if that makes sense i've got to be totally honest i haven't really gone deep on this record no. i've given it well i only came out uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah I've, that's what i mean i've only given it a, f- a couple of listens but i need yeah i mean I, I really like the big thief stuff and so if it's anything comparable to that or, yeah. or better as you're saying then I'm de- it's definitely time to yeah listen. like i said like it, it i've always favored her own material over the bands and i think this record resulted in the fact that she couldn't tour with Big Thief because I yeah. think they had quite a lot planned this yeah, year. Yeah, because I think, so, one, when we were out with them, it was in, well, end of February, beginning of March, and that tour was meant to go from, like, so they were meant to end up finishing Israel, like, at the end of March, and then go pretty much, no, they were having a break because Buck was meant to be touring with Pinegrove, but then doing a US tour. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they had, like, big plans for, for 2020, but obviously those things didn't happen. What are you doing? Got a crazy <laughs> dog on our hands. Um, no, no, ready, down. So, uh, yeah, so, but like I said, the way, the way she just generally writes songs, she just, it just seems, it comes across so effortless. Uh, she's got her, she obviously got her own style that she likes to write songs in. Um, and the way, just the way she writes songs and uh, just the way she plays. Yeah. It's just so unique and like her vocal delivery and things like that. It's very sort of melancholy and the lyrics are very personal and like, she, shut up. Um, <laughs> and it, it kind of reminds me. Reggie. Yeah. So the, the, like I said, the way she kind of just generally approaches songwriting is something I'm very jealous of. Yeah. Um. Like she she tells these really personal tales in like a really abstract way, and like there's just the general lyricism that she comes up with is just like I'm in awe of. Yeah, and and also the, like the the tones of her guitar as well. I don't know what she does sort of does to set up her recording process, but they just it just resonates in a really sort of nice ambient kind of melancholy way. Yeah, yeah, and um. It kind of reminds me of... Have you ever spent time listening to Mount Erie? No. It reminds me of Mount Erie or maybe like someone like Elliot Smith. Right, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's very sort of isolated and you can tell that that's the way that she wanted it to be. Yeah. And it's, it's, not, it's not forced either. It's just the way that she was like, I'm going to sit in this room, write a record, um, maybe even record it herself. I don't know, maybe that's what she did. But yeah. It sounds like she just 
sat in her own room and recorded it. Yeah. But it's, it sounds fantastic. And I, I think, again, like, I think when we were on tour, I think she said, like, she, I think she lives with, like, her and one, like, housemate sort of thing. So it might have been the case. Obviously, I don't know the situations they were in, in lockdown kind of thing. So yeah. you don't really know what's going on. Right. Um, We'll stick with you. We'll go with, we'll go with your number eight. Okay. My number eight is Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face by End. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying, it was, I guess, in a way, you could sort of count them as a super group because they're kind of comprised of different members from different yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, those bands aren't really necessarily bands I'd pay much attention to. Like, the singers in Counterparts, I don't really pay a lot of attention to Counterparts, to be honest. And the guitarist is in Fit for an Obtosp- an autopsy. Autopsy. Um yeah, again it's it's not it's just not in my world. But I know he's he's a good producer, he's produced quite a lot of great um, records this year. Well punny, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh one of the guitarists from Misery Signals, weirdly, and the bass player is used to be in the band Ray Supreme. Oh really? I didn't yeah. know that. And he's now in Shea Halud. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> And the drummer is now playing in Dillinger Escape Plan. So when you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense for yeah. the, what this record is. Um, and if this record came out in like early sort of 2010s, it probably would have been my number one, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. It's just got that that grit and like passion and hate that I would have loved back then. <laughs> yeah. um, it just like... Uh, well, it's attributing to Will Putney's production because it sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it's like, it sounds really dense. Yeah, he 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 obviously knew what this he wanted this record to sound like, and he sat down with the guys and worked out something that worked for everything, and it just sounds phenomenal. Mm. Um, it's probably like I said, it's probably one of the most intense sort of blackened death hardcore whatever you want to call it I've heard in a very long time. And I don't know about you, but I get the impression that this was kind of like a, how shall I put this? It's like, um, I want to say like a hate project. Like they're producing all their negativity onto this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I get the running theme of like, kind of like depression and like therapy because there's little excerpts of like, um, what I can only assume is like philosophers that uh, they relate to and things like that. It's just like an, a pure outlet for them, especially the, the lyricist Brandon yeah. from Counterparts. Um, and they just went, right, we're going to chuck all our bad energy into this record because obviously we need to get something out. Um, what, what I did find funny is they had, um, what's his name? Pete Morsey from 100 Demons mm. on for a guest spot, which is like, he's like the king of negativity, yeah. basically. And then later on the record, they get the guy from Oh Brother. Yeah. And because that's one of the slower tracks on the record. Yeah, yeah. Which I found was like, he really did a lot of that track. It wasn't like necessarily, oh, we got, um, I forget the guy's name, the guy from Oh Brother. Yeah, Do I don't know his name. Uh, we got, we got uh, Oh Brother singer from yeah. on our track. <laughs> And he actually added a lot to the track. I thought it just it resonated what he, what yeah, his idea yeah. was. So, like I said, it was a more like a slowed down kind of bit more ambience to it. 
Um, what's he doing now? He's chilled. Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's absolutely spot on record. It's just it just doesn't slow down. It doesn't let up. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Billy Reimer's drums. Like he just the way he drums, um, he just fills in every single gap. There's just no let out. Yeah, yeah. Even like during those like sort of heavier, slower beatdowns, he finds a little fill or yeah. There's a, a lot of like pattern. kind of like ghost drumming in it. Sort yeah, of thing. to just fill out every single gap. I mean, it, it's about thirty-five minutes long, and it's just like a battering ram. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not going to say too much because <laughs> there'll be more more on that later. Um, my number eight is one that took a long time for me to actually really dig, but then when it finally clicked, I was sort of like, "There it is!" Like, and it was just kind of like since then, it's a, a record I've kind of gone back to over and over. Like we've said this every year. Like this list isn't necessarily a comprehensive like best of but it's ones that i've listened to on a regular basis and ones that i keep going back to um and this is the self-titled debut album by spice nice so the reason this took me a little while was because obviously it's ross from ceremony on vocals and i don't think it took me a while because i couldn't detach because obviously ceremony released the record this year as well was it this year no, they haven't done one this year. Was it last year that ceremony? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that obviously came out last year, and that was again a very sort of shift in movement for ceremony. Like they w- they've been leaning into that more new romantic sort of post rock, post punk sound for for the last couple of records, and that's obviously something that that Ross is very like attuned to and wants his music to give. Whereas Spice is purely a post-punk band. And I think it kind of took me a bit like, well, why doesn't he just use this for ceremony? But then the more you dig into it, like it's a completely different beast. And like, I think the interesting thing as well is this has got former members of um, Sabretooth Zombie who like when ceremony and Sabretooth Zombie were both like kind of coming up through the, through the their um, respective scenes, they did a lot of stuff together because they were both kind of lumped into that that early kind of fast core power violence sort of thing in America. So it's interesting to see that they've now kind of like joined back together to produce this sound, and yeah, like I think this is like without this sounding like really poncy, like it's a really lush sounding record, like. Yeah. It sounds really thick and like Ross's vocals, like for everything that Ceremony do and everything that Ceremony, I, they do that I love, his vocals sit perfectly in this. Mm. Like it's not like he's, not that he does in Ceremony, but it's like there's times where you kind of feel like in Ceremony, it's Anthony showing off what he can do from a writing perspective. And obviously where Ross is such an incredible lyricist, sometimes, especially in the newer stuff, like it kind of gets a little bit lost for me. Whereas this was definitely him being like, not necessarily like this is what I've got to say, but this is the story I want to tell. And yeah, like I think, as I say, this was very much like a grower on me. And like 
the truck I've just got it up here, the track Twenty Six Dogs is just one that I think is a massive standout yeah, on that, that on that my, record. My, my pick as well. And yeah, I just really, really enjoyed this record. It was something that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I didn't like initially, but just the more I went back to it, the more like I heard like different little nuances each time and mm. it grew and grew on me. Yeah, exactly the same for me. I mean like I said, like Ceremony is kind of Ross and Anthony's beast, really. Isn't yeah, it? They're, they're the only two that have stick stuck with the band consistently, and they've gone through so many style changes, like kind of to pure power violence to kind of more sort of garage rock, and yeah, like almost basically new order, yeah, to the most now. recent record, and like so, I guess this was a more of an outlet for Ross, and. um or who did you say the, the, the members from? Um, Safety Zombie. Safety Zombie, yeah. So, the, yeah, fucking great record. Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Right, I'm going to stick with my number seven, if this will work. Um, so, not that I would like to be formulaic, but there always seems to be a, a weird screamo band in my in my top ten. Yeah. Um, and it's not, like, just for... Weird, to- weird screamo band. Well, I guess not necessarily weird, but uh, what's angular? No, no, just like I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, and it's not like a tokenism, but like there's all there all every year there seems to be like one screamo record that stands above the rest. But this year there has been a lot of really good screamo records, and I had there, there was a toss up between two for for this spot. It was going to be Stormlight. Not nom nom notama notamoga however you say it, I don't yeah, know how you yeah, say yeah. it. Um but the record I am gonna go with is um Vilva Belgrado Belvista. Nice. The reason because I think for this band it's a true return to form. So Ulysses, their I think it's their debut record. It's definitely the record that I was first kind of introduced to them by. I fucking adored. It was like just Everything I love about Screamo, it was like really like beautiful sonically, but then really emotional, like vocally, and like had like twinkly guitars mixed with scratching guitars. It mixed melody with screaming, and that record, like I loved that record. And then they kind of like went off the boil a little bit, and I can't remember the name of the record they did after that, but it was almost kind of like a ceremony switch. They did like a whole kind of like had a bit of electronica in there and it it was just really left field and i was just sort of like how have you gone from this to to that and right. it just it just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever um but then they released this this new record this year and it was very much going back to that like really sort of nice delicate sounding guitars with sort of like emotive sort of feeling within the lyrics and and things like that and yeah like like similar to sort of spice that in terms of like this was a record i like when it first came out i listened to on quite heavy rotation then kind of forgot about it and then went back to it sort of latterly in the year um and just like forgot how good it was and then just kind of got back into it and just really, really liked it. And I think a thing that I really like about sort of 
the screamo world is bands aren't afraid to sing in their regional dialect, their yeah. regional tongue. Yeah. And like these guys are from, um, I want to say Barcelona, but I could be wrong. Right. Oh no, Co- Cordoba, wherever that is. It's in Spain. Yeah. Um, so all their like lyrics are in Spanish. So obviously I don't speak Spanish, so I don't have a clue what they're saying. But for me, like because the music is really, like it's really beautiful in my sort of ear. Yeah. That sounded lame, but like... <laughs> But like, it sound beautiful in your mouth as well. <laughs> but that added layer of like a foreign language, to me, it suits it better than hearing an English guy or an American guy like with like know whining, saying, yeah. screaming over yeah. the top. It it makes it kind of like have like a almost like a floating feel, like in, right. not in terms of like like you're high, but like it makes the music flow rather than it being like. If we take Loma as an example, like I really, really like Loma, but like the vocals are really harsh. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is it's it's delicately balanced and clear. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a Daicho. Yeah, remind me of that a lot. Yeah, Um, and yeah, as I say, I just think this is a really like good return to form. There's still like kind of like indie elements to it, which I think. Is really good because it's not it's not a heavy record, mm. but it's definitely still got those leanings <clears throat> of kind of punk and things like that. So yeah, nice. yeah, that's my my number seven. Fair. I'm actually really gutted, as you know, the Stormlight record. I was actually really looking forward to like bringing that on you to be like, oh my god, I've never heard this. <laughs> but apparently, you do know it. So that's... <laughs> is it quite generally well known that record then? Because uh, the only reason I know about the record is so I follow the guitarist on Instagram. I think, like, within, like, Screamo world... Oh, damn, it okay. It's quite well known. Damn, yeah. I was really looking forward to just pouncing that <laughs> on you. Damn, okay. Um, so, yeah, what's your number seven? My number seven is Descendants of Cain by Carr. I have no idea what this Car is. Carr is in K-A. Okay, okay. still no, no clearer. Okay, Carr is a uh, hip-hop slash rap producer from Brooklyn. Okay, with he, he's got a very let's say unique style, and it kind it really it sits perfectly with me because this record in particular. So he he put, he did a another record. He done a couple of records under the name Car, but he also done another record under the name Hermit and the Recluse. Okay, does that ring any bell? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, so Hermit and the Recluse record Orpheus. Was it was setting up for what Car was going to be basically? Okay, which is like basically very sort of. It had a very Brooklyn sound. It was very sort of poetry heavy. It was very personal, um, and he sort of it was. You could see he was trying to find his craft. So and then he became Car, made another two records, <clears throat> and then made Descendants of Cain, which came out this year, and I think. He he's basically openly admitted to he wants to strive to be a great writer. That's right. his main intention, and like poetry is his sort of main uh, his main trade, if you like. Yeah. Um, and production wise is kind of like you can tell he knows what he wants. He's got very it, basically there's hardly any drums on this record. Okay. 
So it's unique in that way. And I guess that's kind of what drew me to it because I've always loved my hip hop with a sort of more moody, dramatic. Yeah, vibe. yeah. And like the production on this is very sort of cinematic. It's got, it's got lots of, it's got, like I said, like Brooklyn sound. It's got kind of, you can, you can hear, you can almost hear like what the streets would sound like if you went out to Brooklyn. Right, yeah, yeah. Like it was kind of like a. I thought you mentioned the streets in the band. No. <laughs> well, it's in Mike Skinner. Yeah. yeah, he's just around the corner chilling. Um, like if you watch a film or something like that and you, you like a old 80s kind of Spike Lee movie, uh, you kind of, like, this might be what that sounds like a little bit. Right, yeah, yeah, I get you. But um, it's like, it's, it's all his own beast and he's kind of opened up a lot in this record. And I think that's what drew, drew me more to it. How well sort of he can interpret a quite personal story in these like really poetic ways and deliver it and deliberately like, and deliver it fluently. Yeah, yeah. And that's really hard to do. And I think that's what a lot of rappers strive to do nowadays because mm. I mean it's let's let's face it, a lot of hip hop and rappers kind of oversaturated. I was just about to say, it takes something quite like not necessarily unique yeah but it takes something sort of different to sort of stand out from from a crowd unless you're kind of like one of the quote-unquote big boys yeah sort of thing because I, I was going to mention actually because the top the toss up in this slot would have been the rap ferrera record which Again, is aka um, milo aka uh, scalps right. hotel didn't, didn't know that's no the new yeah. worker he was going under. yeah that's so he released the record this year which was also fantastic and i really couldn't decide between the two yeah but i, I think just purely i had to make a snap decision on what i listened to more which was this record and like the, the title descendants of kane like there's references to kane and abel and like how he tries to come to terms with christianity and things like mm. that and about how the whole biblical aspect of his how he was raised and things like that um but yeah again like if you if you're going to compare something like this to the rap ferrera record i mean it's that they are similar and it's kind of what i love the both records are what i love about hip-hop well, i'm kind of cheating in a way a little bit because i'm mentioning two <laughs> records in one slot, which i like to do a lot on this podcast but um yeah, again, if I'm going to be 100% honest with myself, this is going to be, this record would sit in the slot better than maybe that record. Yeah, would. just purely because I listened to it yesterday and it kind of sounds like it would fit similarly to this. But have you heard the Riz Ahmed album? No, no, I only found out it dropped one today, actually. Yeah, I so I literally listened to it yesterday. Yeah. And it kind of has, feels like a similar, like, so it's, I, it's more kind of spoken word than even though he is kind of emceeing over it but there's like very minimal production to it and it has a very kind of British feel to like what you were saying Carl has the kind of like Brooklyn sort of like feel to it yeah. so yeah like not to sort of diminish that but I think just putting that out there would yeah, yeah, probably yeah. be something you'd be into um, as I say not aware of this record so definitely I'd, I'd... 100% recommend the Hermit and the Cruise record. Yeah. You definitely like that. And then if you'd like that, you'd probably like yeah, this record. Yeah, I would as definitely well. check it out. Um, cool, right. So, number six. Um, 
this is one for me that I wasn't like this is no disrespect to the record because obviously I'd fucking love it because it's in my top 10 but like when this was announced it was it wouldn't necessarily have been one on my radar um but it's another self-titled debut record but it's by the band Dream Nails so I was aware of Dream Nails like they are kind of like in that sort of queer punk scene that's really thriving in the UK at the moment um and they like I was familiar with their EP and was a fan of it but wasn't like massive on it but then this record came out and I remember like the day it came out I gave it a listen and I was like oh it's, this is a, a, like a really fun record and then kind of sort of didn't really do anything of it and but really it's because of this podcast that I kind of dig dug into it a bit deeper because I was given the opportunity to speak to their guitarist and songwriter Anya. So in preparation, I had this record on a lot to kind of obviously get a bit more sort of feeling for it and so on and so forth. And just like after that, it's just been one that's been on heavy rotation. Like they address a lot of sort of really kind of like prominent themes, like like social issues, especially sort of around like, uh diversity and like uh like trans rights women's rights and things like that but they do it in like a almost like a tongue-in-cheek kind of way mm. and their music as well it's not just like <clears throat> quote-unquote punk in terms of like being sort of aggressive and heavy it's almost like I know that some people think this is a dirty term, but it's almost kind of got like a pop punk sensibility to it in terms of that it's like really like upbeat and light and like everything they do like on their social media and like music videos and stuff, they bring a positivity to what they're doing because they know what they're talking about is quite like standoffish in some aspects. Yeah, in, in yeah. As I say, like... <clears throat> It could, it could be read as like, oh, I don't want to kind of hear about that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, But they do it in, yeah, just in such a fun way. Like all, like, all the songs are, like, really catchy. Like, even now, like, just talking about this, I've got one of their songs going around in my head kind of thing. Um, the other thing, like, obviously I can't relate to it completely because they're talking about it in a, from a woman-on-woman -woman situation. But the song takes me back, like fucking hits hard because it's about like obviously trying to hook up and like dating. And there's a lyric in it, which I think is just brilliant. It's like talking about texting someone on WhatsApp and then all of a sudden them ghosting you and you just get the two blue ticks. <laughs> and it's like, oh, mate, I fucking feel that sort of thing. So <laughs> that like, but that's, that's, cool. but that's what I mean. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's that kind of like it's talking about hike but in a funny way yeah and it's in a term and a way that like a lot of people can, can relate, relate to. to yeah but then on the complete flip side the the way that the song uh, sorry the record ends it's, it's called kiss my fist and it opens with do you remember a few years ago now there was that horrible attack in london of those two um i think they either both of them were polish or one of them was polish like a lesbian couple were on a bus in London and they got like accosted yes. by a group of guys yeah, 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 yeah. and they were basically like trying to force them to kiss and then yeah, they got yeah. beaten the shit out of. Yeah. So it opens with that sample of the news broadcast of that. Um, 
and it's basically like the the theme of the song is like the kind of um what's the kind of word i'm looking for like the stereotypical view that men particularly have of lesbians of being like like lesbian porn and things like that like it being this fantasy of right. of, of like kind of like oh i want to be involved in that like yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. kind of thing yeah, yeah, but yeah. then in reality when you're faced with a lesbian couple you kind of turn your nose up to it and obviously become homophobic okay. so it's that kind of justification but the chorus of like literally you can, you can imagine it like at a show like all these women like just screaming kiss my fist it's just like you can imagine that being kind of like a goosebump moment sort of yeah. thing and i think just as well like this band kind of gets lumped in as i say that whole sort of queer punk scene but i guess the kind of pinnacle of that at the moment are petrol girls and like I know Dream Girls have played shows with them. I think they might have even toured with them at one point. But where Petrol Girls is aggressive and very on the nose, this is I've I seem to be saying it a lot, but like the yin to their yang in terms of like they're still talking about the same issues, but they're doing it in a fun manner. And I think that will endear a lot more people than the Petrol Girls stuff. Not I love Petrol Girls, like and the new song that they dropped literally yesterday, I think it was is really cool and it's around the whole solidarity not silence stuff that that ren's doing at the moment but again it is that like petrol girls are a lot more like openly political whereas this i think people will engage with it more because it's fun and airy and poppy and rather than it being like we're women sort of thing like it's which like i'm not diminishing that at mm. all but it's nice to see it having a different coat in some aspects and yeah like this is one that i just kept going back to and is probably the the lightest most sort of like upbeat record yeah. on my list okay nice yeah i'll find i'll follow that under we'll check out cool uh your number six my number six is on a tricks point never with well it's the record is called magic on a tricks point never but i think that's a bit lame so i'm just going to call it magic Okay, <laughs> again, I've never heard of this. Are, so. you, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Come on, bro. <laughs> um, oh, come on, boy. You were doing so well. You were doing so well. He's talking to the dog, not me. <laughs> you were doing so well. You were so well. Anyway, so, on a tricks point, never. Uh, basically, very synth-focused uh, producer. Has been in the game for quite some time now. And he's earned his chops... Uh, for about sort of eight or nine years. Mm. So like I said, he started out kind of more synth-based and then he gradually got more sort of uh, a bit more ambient, a bit more noise-based and just generally a bit more abstract. Um, so I, I, I think you'll find, if you want to speak to anyone about on a tricks point, never, you, like your average noise fan would probably have heard of him. Okay. So, you know, you've got your average kind of uh, Merzbauer fan right, might, might have okay. heard of On A Tricks Point Never. But like I said, his, his early days was very sort of 80s synth-based. Okay. So he knows what he's doing when it comes to electronic music. Um, but as his sort of discography grew and grew, like he got more into the uh, sort of soundtracky world. Mm. So he was 
picked up by the Safdie brothers. Have you heard the Safdie brothers? Yeah. I they made name. they made a couple of movies. One was called Good Time with Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one was called Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Yeah. He soundtracked both those movies. Okay. And I honestly think, as much as I love the rest of his work, I think this is where he kind of knew where he wanted to go. Okay. So he kind of cut his chops a bit more doing these soundtracks because he but what what the these films demanded was kind of like a more twinkly more synth based kind of approach yeah and i think he was he kind of knew what he wanted a bit, a bit more so his last record was called age of which was like kind of an amalgamation of the two styles so it was like a bit more a bit more angular noise and then a bit more synth yeah, yeah. He's synth- starting to kind of introduce those. Oh, I was, I was going to say synth pop in quotations because I can't think of anything, a, a better phrase for it really because that's that's kind of what it is. Um. So, yeah, this this record is basically a, a big congregation of everything that he was building up to, yeah, yeah. I feel like. And so, in that way, it's a bit more accessible and it's a bit more... Quote again, quote unquote, radio friendly, and I'm going to say radio friendly because he's been working a lot with The Weekend recently. Okay, who was also featured on these movies that I mentioned. So yeah, he met The Weekend on working with the Safety Brothers on Uncut Gems, and they actually <clears throat> they actually did a track on The Weekend's record, and and then in turn he did a record. Uh, sorry, a track on this new record. Okay, which was. Uh, if you, I think you find if you go on Spotify, it's the most played song. What by? But yeah, it's called, it's called um, No Nightmares. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that that is currently OPN's most played Play song. song. Um, so yeah, it's 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 basically it's more radio. Like I said, it's more radio friendly. It's more sort of accessible in that way. And basically, the, the general theme is kind of like radio. So as soon as you press play, it's kind of like um, you're tuning in and out. Right. Okay. But it's like what's in like as a sample? Yeah, like an like like an old school AM FM yeah. radio. But it's like you're tuning in and out of hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. It's like it's re- some of it's really disorientating. Some of it's really like really nice and melodic, and then all of a sudden it's just pure static. Yeah. So again, it's you're you're getting the roots of his noise, noise project, stuff, yeah, yeah. but then at the same, it's just like really nice synth keys to kind of balance it all out. And in some way, I was kind of saving a spot in my top ten for this record because I knew it was going to be great. Yeah, because he dropped not long after he did the soundtracks to the movie I mentioned. He dropped like a three tracks off what this record was going to be, and he, he called it an epilogue. So it was like it was almost like he was going to tell his own story. Right. So it, it was really it gave intrigue to what this record was going to be because it was like three tracks and it was like um, an intro, a prelude, and then a, a proper single. And I was like, okay, right, so that's cool. So the one of the the single that he dropped was like one of my favorite things of this year. Like mm. It's one of my most. It came up on my Spotify rap. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um. So I was like, okay, obviously I'm going to be mega excited for this record, and it kind of delivered everything I wanted to hear. Basically, mm. like the just the sheer creativity of it. Like, there's one track called Imago, 
which is like, how can I describe it? It's it's like really sort of etherical synths, but like tuned in and out of static. I know that's, okay. it's, it's really hard to describe by the medium of an audio podcast. <laughs> you need to hear the track, but it's just it's when you hear it in really nice headphones, it's just so clever. Yeah. And like, I feel like only he would come up with something like that. Yeah. Is it all like, is it all instrumental or is there vocals and stuff? Like yeah. That? Apart from, I think there's one track that he trialed on this record, which is, it's only because I saw him before, before it on um, Saturday Night Live where he actually makes a full band, but he's on vocals and guitar. He's got a drummer and bass player. And all okay. That. But apart from that, the, the only vocals are from The Weeknd. Oh, okay. Yeah. What on that, on just on that one track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, as I say, I have not heard of this record, but it definitely sounds like something that would pique my interest. Yeah, you need to check it out, Lee. Yeah, cool. Um, We'll stick with you for number five. Okay, my number five is Impenetrable Impenetrable Cerebral Fortress by Gulch. Okay. Um, You you say, okay, like you're surprised. No, just because it hasn't made my list, so... <laughs> oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. This is what the um, the Clash would be, I thought. I thought oh, okay. Okay. Um, I think my the, my most anticipated release... Yeah, it. like this, so... It didn't make my list just purely because of, like, there was other things that I liked more than this, but I still fucking love this record. And yeah. very similar, like... As, n- as soon as like they were putting out like the promo stuff last year, I was just so hyped for this record. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Carry on. No, no, it's cool. I, I thought I better clarify like, really because like these are on ten records ordered from ten to one that I really enjoy. Yeah. These are just ten records that I just for some reason clicked with or related to in some way or played the most. Yeah. So when this record dropped, I was like, is this going to be one of the records that I absolutely love and just repeat and repeat, repeat? And it turns out it was. <laughs> <clears throat> because only purely because it's only about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But they class it as an album, so I'm going to class yeah. it as an album. So, yeah. Jammed the, the record, shitloads. Jammed the two-track EP, shitloads. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so ready for a full length from this band. And I guess in quotations of full length is what we've got. <laughs> and like, for for me, it's the, not necessarily how it sounds, it's the fucking attitude of it. Yeah. It's the venomous bite. Like, it's rare that bands can pull that off so well. Yeah. And especially, especially like recorded sort of thing. Not only recorded, but in hardcore in general. Yeah. I think hardcore has got so... I mean, I'm going to sound like such a fucking Twitter nerd right now. <laughs> it's got so saturated and so like kind of, oh, I did this and I did this better and all this bullshit. Yeah. Fuck all that bollocks. Gulch came in and said, here's seven, eight tracks of just no nonsense. Here yeah. you fucking go in your face. Just like, I feel like a lot of hardcore these days kind of try to outdo each other in the ways of, oh, here's, we're going to do this heavier. We're going to do this, yeah. but better. We're going to do this, but with more breakdowns. And Gulch come out and just push everyone out of the way and go, fuck you, here's eight tracks of just blast nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Not nonsense, that's the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Soundwise, like, they remind me of like an early kind of youth attack band. 
yeah. meet, meet with like someone like Jesus Peace, like like a yeah. a heavier take on the early. You say take I don't know like that's oath someone like that yeah and then tune the guitars down to like B yeah 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 that to me that's what they've done yeah I think like for me it's it's kind of that but it's also like. There's obviously elements of like where Full of Hell started from that kind of. I was going to say like this is this on my list. And, I mean, I mean, I mean, not much in the way of like truly professional vocal vocalist. Yeah. But I was going to say this is the best vocal performance on a metal and hardcore record. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like. And he reminds me. He really reminds me of the guy from Full of yeah. Hell. Yeah. And I think like as you say that kind of like venom in it is one of the, like. It just kicks in like there's no sort of like tartiness to it. It's literally mm. like you're gonna get punched in the face mm. for 15 minutes. Yeah. Enjoy it, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think like it's really interesting that one of the standout tracks, if you can kind of call it that, from this record is a cover. Like so, "Send My yes. Heart," like the last yeah. song, they completely like throw a bit of a curveball and slow things down, and like just going on the vocal performance, like it kind of shows that this dude isn't just all growl. Yeah. Because he, like, he kind of shows a different side to his vocals in that that track. Um, And I think, like, it goes without saying, the drumming on this is just next level ridiculous. Like, Well, I guess, if if, again, if if you take in, if you take out the cover, it's essentially eight minutes of their own music. Yeah. So, it's, no, it's not their debut, is it? They've released it. So it's their second record, isn't it? Well, yeah, because the first one was an EP. Yeah, so. but I guess a breakout, a full-on breakout into the world. Yeah. Because they signed to... Close Casket. Close Casket, that was right. And they've said, yeah, okay, we're going to have, have eight about eight minutes of our own music and a Susie and the Banshees cover. How about yeah. that? Do you know what I mean? It's just just the fucking attitude of that. It's just like, yeah, fuck but you. But I think like, also to go with that attitude, like how everything around this release went was just fucking... Like, so... A lot of people kind of have argued like they're a hype band and stuff because of like things on like Twitter and things like that. Yeah. And obviously they did that like anime um, oh, like the hoodie, hoodie that oh, kind gosh. of like went everywhere yeah. after um, was it FYA they did that for. I don't know. Um, so like there was a lot of kind of like naysayers, I guess, in, in some aspects. But then like upon like the release and the sort of announcement of this, it was just so well done on all aspects. Like Close Casket were like Gulch record out tomorrow, mm-hmm. essentially. There was no yeah. there was yeah. no build, yeah. nothing. And I think within like two hours, they'd already sold out of like the first pressing and were already like halfway through selling the second pressing because they knew it was gonna be so popular. Yeah. And like it does it's a thing, like with a like a quote unquote hype band, you worry that it's not going to live up or deliver, mm. but it just fucking does it on does. every level. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, as I say, it hasn't made my, my top 10, but if this isn't on your top 10, I think I know what it is. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, it's just like, as I said, it, it was a record that I was super, super excited for and was like, so pleased that it delivered. And it's one of those records that like, as well, because it's so short, you kind of don't like even absorb it. It just kind of like flies by and you're like, Oh fuck that. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Kind of 
Also, um, not something that I don't think is mentioned a lot about this record, but the the riffs in general. Oh yeah, just for, like they're very like inventive. Mm. Like they're very kind of like if you were to hear like this as your first, I don't know, entrance into the hardcore world, you you'd think nothing of it. But like as someone that's been playing guitar for quite a while, like how they come up with riffs and structure them around like such a, a tiny song, like I don't know, a minute and a half long. Yeah. Yeah. And how, what they fit into that minute and a half is really fucking clever. Yeah. Yeah. Like even like that's going back to that, like first track, like it starts off with that kind of sort of like raw and you are kind of like taken in by the scream of the vocals and the speed of the drums. Yeah. But it is that like squealing guitars yeah. in the background that punctuates it all. You reminded me the, the... The scream on the end of track one sounds like someone just straight up drops a brick on his nuts. <laughs> it's yeah. so piercing. So my number five is probably the most, I guess, commercial in some aspects, but it's still kind of like, it's not underground because a big act, but in the kind of punk ethos, I guess, in some aspects. Um, but it's Run the Jewels 4. Nice. So... Got to admit, I'm not the biggest Run the Jewels fan. Like I really, I like their record, but I'm not like one of those people that like spaffs over them sort of thing. Like <laughs> I like like certain songs and and things like that, but like I've never really kind of like really dug into any of their previous records. Um but this one I don't know like whether it was just like perfect timing or things like that. Like when it came out, just like it just seems like the perfect sort of hip hop record. In terms of, and I think like they've always been a good duo of Killer Mike and LP, and like this isn't to diminish anything they've done in the past, but it feels like this record was very much like them wanting to show their personality a bit more as a duo rather than two artists coming together, if that makes sense. Okay, and it kind of felt like as if LP specifically was kind of writing in mind of it being like run the jewels rather as i say rather than it being like written as like okay i've got these beats that can work for run the jewels i'll let mike do a verse and i'll do a verse if like rather than layering it that way it kind of feels like a complete run the jewels project if that makes sense okay um and also like in terms of like we were kind of like saying with the car stuff, like my sensibilities are very similar to yours. Like I prefer hip hop when it is that more kind of expansive sort of nature rather than it being the kind of like commercial side of things. But my into hip hop was always kind of like, like Wu Tang and Eminem. And I feel like LP's kind of, especially within the production of this has kind of gone to that, like, old school hip hop mentality like some of like the beats in this feel like some like on um i think it's on ooh la la like there is a drum beat and synth line that goes through that that could easily have been picked off an off an old like disused wu-tang track mm. which i think is really really cool um weirdly obviously like it well it's not weird because it just shows how like prevalent this issue still is Obviously, this record came out amongst 
when all like the the Black Lives Matter protests <clears> and stuff were going out, and obviously a lot of the lyrical content felt like it was written for that. But they came out and were like, nah, this was like written and recorded nearly yeah. two years ago. Yeah. So it just goes to show that issue isn't going away anytime no. soon. Um, and all, like also going back to that kind of like old school like hip hop mentality, I can't remember. Uh, so yeah, just is the track that has Pharrell and Zach Delarocha on it, and Zach Delarocha is a, a frequent collaborator of Run the Jewels, but it's almost because they've kind of introduced Pharrell into it as well now. It kind of feels like they're building this almost hip hop collective like you would have on the old school hip hop days, like your NWA, like your Wu Tangs. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. And I think that's a really cool... Like, obviously, like, it, it will always be LP and Killer Mike, but it's nice that they've kind of added that string to their bow if they want to sort of expand it that way and, and things like that. And, yeah, it's like, I think as well, like, this record really kind of cements... Like, so when after I listened to this, I went back and listened to some of their solo stuff respectively and it like for the killer mike side of things like he's always been a really strong speaker like we obviously even saw during the sort of protest stuff that speech that kind of of his that went viral oh yeah it's very very well executed yeah um but when he translates that into lyrics it it seems to hit 10 times harder, like whether because it's, it gives him a bit more free reign, like because when he's speaking in public, he does come across really well-spoken and personable. Whereas it, in music, he can, it's almost like the shackles have been taken off. And in like, in that song, just again, like the re, um, repeat lyric of um, looking on these save masters on your, on your dollar or whatever it is. It's, like and to hear like the four different voices mm. say that is just like really like as a white person you're like oh, fuck that's yeah. like such a hard lyric yeah. um but yeah like as i say i've i do i've always liked to run the jewels but this album particularly just really kind of sat with me and was one that i kept going back to and yeah so i just i fucking really love this record yeah uh, yeah i'm so glad you brought this up because it didn't quite make my list because again. So this was the one I thought that would be. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because I thought like it deserves to be mentioned, obviously, but I'm purely based my list on what I listen to most. And like, while this was a very sort of um, prevalent record, especially at the time, like that one, the one track where Killer Mike mentions the whole. Standing on your neck until yeah, you can't yeah. breathe. Oh shit! It was like a paper cut, wasn't it? Yeah. It, was just, it felt that so. Was, that was the thing because of like that's why I mentioned about the kind of when it was written because like obviously that was how George Floyd died yeah. or got murdered. Sorry. Yeah. Um. And like when you hear that, you'll think, oh, he's he's acting on impulse of something that's yeah. happened now. It's like no, 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 no. That happened mm. fucking years ago. Yeah. And even like like you say, you it's, it might be your more mainstream choice, but. It might not be mainstream to a lot of people that are like only just coming in to run the jaws. And I think maybe because of what happened like 
around May June this year. Was it May June? Though? When 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 oh, did it all happen? Was it? This year is such a blur. Yeah, yeah, and like I think if a lot of people talked about what happened this year and then related to Run the Jewels in Lurk, I've sort of like in an educated way, like okay, if you want to know more about what happened this year. Here's this documentary. Here's this book or whatever. Listen to Run the Jewels. Yeah. And they'll probably spin this. They'll give anyone who's a bit sort of out the loop this record. They might relate to the issues in a, a more, like I said, a bit more of a mainstream way because yeah, yeah. it's a way that they can relate to, like, again, like Pharrell's on the record and things like that. So people that are a bit more outside the box will certainly gravitate to Run the Jewels mm. in this way. I get like the early material had that as well, but because of what happened this year and how widespread the issue became, yeah, I think a lot of people would latch latch onto this. Yeah, level. definitely. And but I think like as well, like, because obviously it's got those elements to it. I think they've obviously tried to kind of find that balance of like rather than it being like a completely like outwardly political record. Like a song like Ooh La La, like... Mm. Yeah, that's, that, that, that was, that's, that's like Radio 1, basically. Yeah, but it's also, re- like, it shows they're not afraid to kind of dip their toes into that world. Yeah. Because, like, so for a lot of people, again, this isn't to diminish LP, but a lot of people see Killer Mike as the front of Run The Jewels. And in some aspects, rightly so. But for them to put a song like Ooh La La as like one of their focal tracks where it's essentially LP not really rapping is that chorus he doesn't even really sing it it's just sort of like said over a piano yeah and you like when so even like saying that out loud it sounds a weird thing like a white dude in a rap song going ooh la la it's just like why is that why would that be anything of note but it somehow works yeah and it it's that it's just a nice hook yeah and it's that kind of element that they they have that as i said like they're not afraid to kind of push their own boundaries try things out and like i'm not saying by any means that run the jewels are changing the game of hip-hop Mm. But they're definitely kind of bringing different elements to it that yeah. maybe like the layman normie fan yeah. would would sort of listen that's, to. That's kind of what I was getting at without saying it in, yeah. <laughs> in that way. But um, have you ever have you had the opportunity to see him live? No, live, I really want to. The but... live show is fucking incredible. Yeah. Right? It's just again, it's just it's the fun that they bring with the their agenda as well yeah it just translates so well like. yeah okay so yeah that's my number five um i'm gonna stick with me for now when i'm my number four because weirdly this is the one that we've had the crossover over um and it's end um as uh, splinters from an ever-changing face you kind of hit the nail on the head with most of the stuff that i wanted to say about this record when when you brought it up but it's like there were some really good like heavy records out this year, but this one, for me, just stood head and shoulders above, like the other ones that I'll sort of give honourable mention to towards the end. But like it just comes in so angry and violent and like 
we've mentioned earlier, like Will Putney's production to it, it just makes it f- like it feels really dense and thick. Yeah, and like it just doesn't give you room to breathe. Yeah, and, and that's like when I was kind of making my notes, that was something like you can imagine, like if this was a an object, it would just be like an anvil on your chest, mm. like because like it doesn't it doesn't let up. It just feels really heavy, but it's not in an ignorant way mm. like um so i'll give one mention to to an album that i did like that kind of in this vein but the news of Balba album like that is a fucking heavy record but it's it is heavy in an ignorant sense because like it's just so down tuned mm. but that's what Zabalba do that's mm. what they're known for whereas this is heavy in a like as you said in a pissed off sense and like it makes sense as you were saying, like they come from all these other bands, but this is their outlet to release all that anger. Um, just because I, I don't, as I say, you've kind of mentioned a lot of what I wanted to say, but the one track I wanted to to touch upon was Pariah, and the way that beatdown comes in at the end. Yeah, it's it's it not it's it is a beatdown where you can imagine mm. like live, like people are going to go fucking mental, but it, it it's also like, I know that the what like I can't remember the exact lyric, but it's like Pariah, my like your fucking end or something like that. And I'm not sure if it's done consciously or subconsciously, but the fact that like it's your fucking end, and obviously the band name yeah. is End, it just kind of adds an added potency yeah. to it. Um, weirdly, like this was a record that I was looking forward to, but I wasn't super stoked on. So like, I was aware of End, and like I quite. I wasn't huge on um, from the unforgiving arms of God. Like, it was a good record, but it wasn't something that kind of like knocked me off my feet. But yeah, as soon as this like stuck on, like I was just sort of like, oh, this is a massive leap for like yeah. for them. Yeah. And yeah, it just I would fucking really like this record. Yeah, I, I, the I think the differentiating factor between the two is like. The first record, oh, sorry, EP was like, uh, it was a lot more sort of power based, like they they a bit more sort of a bit more stomping, a bit more yeah. of like a kind of we're a sort of heavy juggernaut. Kind it kind of, of had thing. more sort of doom elements to it. A lot in more, some well, yeah, it was it was a bit more doomy, I guess, but it was like a bit more sort of stomping, a bit more sort of a bit more traditional hardcore. Yeah. Whereas this was like extreme metal. Yeah, this yeah. Is, I'd, I'd definitely coin this under kind of more um, sort of grindy kind of... Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I haven't got a whole lot more to add because I think we've both covered it in our retrospective slots. Yeah. So It's we'll... just a shame that we couldn't see it. Like, in a way, it was a good opportunity for... It would have been a great year for them. Oh, yeah, massively. Like, if we were saw them on... Uh, a couple of tours like this would have devastated venues yeah yeah but you know 2020 happened the way yeah. it decided it wanted to happen so unfortunately no and that will very much be a point that comes to another band of mine later okay. but, um, <laughs> I think I might know who you're about. <laughs> uh, we'll go your number four um, oh it's number four okay uh, we've, we've done your number five haven't we oh my last one was Gulch that was number I don't know. Where are we up to? Well, we're on four now. 
All right, hang on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> cool, I'm with you. No, it's because this year was such a like a heavyweight for music that I think I had to make some quick decisions. So I made notes on like maybe quick decisions. But uh, yeah, it's cool. We're, we're set, it's fine. So my number four, is it number four? Yeah. It is number four. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> my number four is Wu Hen by Kamar Williams. Okay. Familiar? Yeah. It's not one that I kind of really listen to loads, but... I listen to it shit loads. Like, um, well, I'll start off by saying it was it was basically my lockdown record. Okay. Because I jammed it, like, pretty much non-stop. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of had to step away from it a little bit because I just... You know how you get too familiar with records and you just have to walk away for a bit? Yeah. And it wasn't until, like, we started getting these lists together, I was just like, okay, this definitely deserves a place in my mm. room. And then these past couple of weeks, I've just listened to it again, non-stop. And I, I can only describe it as a musical equivalent of a milk tray. <laughs> it's just that smooth. It's just that cool, smooth kind of texture <laughs> of a milk tray. It's so good. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Yeah. So I first discovered Kamal Williams on weirdly on Adult Swim. Okay. Because they've got this really bizarre section it's called like the fish tank or something. Yeah. Have you ever yeah, seen yeah, it? yeah. I haven't seen it but I know what it is. Well they basically get bands to perform live and they It's just... kind of like their equivalent to like tiny desk sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. But they put them in like a really shitty like green screen yeah. with like a fish tank. And it looks kind of like an infomercial. Yeah, yeah. So it's him and like a couple of the people that he collaborated in. And um, so I was like, okay, this is definitely my jam. Very kind of smooth sort of jazz element. Um, so obviously I was looking forward to this record. And like just from the opening harp strings, I was just like, oh, I'm going to love this record. <laughs> and I did, man. Like it's just, it's so kind of, it's so chilled and calmed and relaxed. And I think that's kind of what got me focused in lockdown because believe it or not I didn't sit around with my pants playing games all lockdown yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to do some stuff so I actually focused on some projects and I feel like this kind of centered me for a lot of that yeah and it's kind of like if you're going to get get into the nitty-gritty of the album it's kind of I can describe it as like very it has influences going back from like very early like jazz pioneers such as like uh, Charles Mingus and uh, um, I can't remember who else I was going to mention but like uh, up to like a bit more modern influences like Flying Lotus mm. I was going to say like I kind of get the sort of Flying Lotus vibes to it like mm. it's not to the like not the Flying Lotus Flying, flying Lotus. Lotus is extreme no but you can imagine like Kamal Williams sees Flying Lotus as an extreme version yeah. of what he does I was going to say something along those lines like he he, he obviously it's, it's in his world but he was like no this is I'm going to make my own interpretation yeah of it's what kind of like is. he's like deconstructed what Flying Lotus does and put yeah. his spin on it Flying like Lotus can, can be quite sort of in your face and quite intense whereas he's sort of stripped a lot of Again, like, I'm not sure if he even 
notes him as an influence, but he kind of he knows what his musical world is and he pulls what he does from that and yeah. puts it into his own kind of thing and makes it his own. And like I, I feel like a lot of this is because he he lays a, a lot of the foundation for the for his tracks on it, but it's the collaborations that he has on the record which stand out a lot. Like the the jazz drummers, like the the jazz the drum patterns are just mm. insane. Like you just like I can't even imagine playing along to some of the stuff that he plays <laughs> yeah. along to. And like when just like when he brings into like like the flutes and stuff like that, and it's just like it's almost like. I just I feel picture myself sitting at the window when it's raining and just with my <laughs> with my fist on my chin just looking out while this record's on. It's just it's just so like it's so that mood. Yeah, yeah. And um And a rainy day as a single rain drip treats down the window. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I mean, because this this kind of works in with what one of my other albums was gonna be was which was inevitably pushed out, but but just this on a sonic level, like the the jazz element, <laughs> you remember the film Whiplash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost hear J.K. Simmons shouting in my ear, going, it's "Not That's my tempo! Not, not my fucking tempo!" <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's so like, it's so that energy. Yeah. And like, when you do get that energy, like on the track, I've noted down a track called uh, "Pig Ale," which is essentially the if you want to boil it down to it, it's, it's the, the closing half an hour of Whiplash. Yeah. So it gets so, so intense. And then that breakdown. And it every time I hear that breakdown, I just get all the chills on the back of my yeah, neck. It's yeah. so, so nicely done. Um. Yeah. Again, like, I kind of wish 2020 would have given us the benefit of the doubt of a couple of shows because it would be really nice to see this performed live. I mean, just like his... He's coming up pretty big in the London scene, and I feel feel like he'd fit in really nicely in the jazz in the jazz clubs. And I just love to sit there with a nice glass of whiskey and just watch this album play out. <laughs> but unfortunately, we didn't get that. No. But yeah, as I say, like I've listened to it a couple of times. Not obviously sat with it as as much as you have. It's probably definitely something that I need to kind of go back at and listen to a bit more, but. Yeah, I think the milk tray sort of <laughs> metaphor was, was perfect, to be honest. Um, cool. My going completely different sonically here, then. So my number three uh, is another kind of latecomer, but, I mean, as soon as I saw this was a record that was happening, it was going to be in and around my, my records of the year. Um, this is the Thal Emma Ruth Rundle collaboration, May Our Chambers Be Full. Um, this is just an absolute juggernaut of a record, in my opinion. Like, so a lot of people I've seen, kind of, who have done like reviews of this, have, have kind of come to this from a, an Emma Ruth Rundle fan perspective. Okay. And like, don't get me wrong, I I really like her stuff. Like, um, is it Dark Horse, the last record she did, or Dark? Something or other, I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't dug too much into Emory. That's the thing. So, like, I'm I like her, but I'm not a massive fan. Whereas on the flip, I am a Thal fan. Like, I think they do Doom, they're one of the best bands that do that version of like Doom and Sludge and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I was always gonna give this a listen, regardless. 
but the way they construct this record to bring in like the best elements of Thal and the best elements of Emma Ruth Rundle and just mix them together. So like this feels like it's been a band for years, but it's only been a project for less than a year, I think Mm. when they started kind of talking about this and getting the ball rolling on it. And yeah, like just the synergy of the two, like the two artists coming together just works so well her voice over that kind of like dark gritty down-tuned guitars just sounds like ethereal and like just like it's really magnetic in some way Mm. because like obviously brian's voice is in there but because in that sort of heavy world you're so used to hearing these like growls and screams or whatever to hear this like soft somber voice Mm. like just makes it really like almost calming in a way yeah and which i just think is really and like it it for a foul record as well like it opens quite softly which kind of gives an indication of like the obviously it's still gonna have those like massive like building crescendo bits and things like that but it kind of shows an indication of where this record's going to go. It's not just going to be like droned guitars, pummeling drums, screamed vocals. It's going to have like a through line to it. And I think they do that really well. And obviously like the combination of Emma's voice and Brian's voice, they balance it really well to the point that when they are in it together, rather than like one and one of the other, neither of them overshadows the other and it just yeah it just builds and builds and like i think the the track they put out as the single the valley which obviously ends the album it's the longest one it's like nearly nine minutes long but it feels like three it like doesn't yeah. feel like a doom track at all um i thought like it's weird so when this came out I knew I was going to like it, but I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. And I remember in that first week, I probably listened to it like twice a day. And for like... That's mental. Yeah, but that's a, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> for like a like a Doom record... You must have been going through some shit that day. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, like, for what is like essentially a Doom record, like that's quite a thing because like it does have those like elements kind of like end where it does feel like it's kind of dragging you down yeah but because it's got that like balance with emma ruth rundle it's got that lighter sense so it doesn't feel like something that's completely crushing your soul yeah so yeah i just really really fucking loved this record and it was one that especially in the last couple of months and especially when it's got darker and colder was very yeah. much on heavy rotation for me so yeah. that is why it's my number three yeah nice yeah it kind of felt like the writing was on the wall for this to happen didn't it like because mm. they both kind of ex- weirdly existed in the same world i mean i think val somewhere along the line collaborated with um chelsea wolf didn't, didn't they? i'm sure they did probably yeah because it's that the whole sergeant house world like yeah yeah that, that a lot of those bands are very collaborative and um like the body is yeah well, no, I was gonna say, as body well. full of hell yeah so yeah it was bound to happen um need to spend more time on it i think yeah i, I haven't listened to it a lot but um i liked what i heard for sure 
And just to show how kind of prolific Thal have been this year, they also did a Nirvana's cover album this year, which was, did they? was fucking rad. I had no idea. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I will listen. Um, your number three. My number three is I Let It In and It Took Everything by Thou. And Thou? <laughs> loathe. 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 Okay, that's. I'm quite surprised by this. I thought you might be. I mean, it's a really fucking cool record, but I yeah. wasn't expecting it to be no, like, this high on Honestly, the... I didn't think it would be either. Yeah. I checked this out purely on hearsay. I mean, a lot of my friends were talking about this record. And to me, it existed in the. I mean, I'm going to be sound a bit ignorant here, but I, I kind of just put it, coin it away as kind of the whole degenty, chin, chin strokey world that I'm yeah. just not into whatsoever. Um, but for some reason, no, no, I remember how I discovered it. I heard the song Two Way Mirror. Yeah. And I instantly was like, okay, it's Death, Death Tones worship. Yeah. Okay, they're doing it in their own way. Okay, it's fucking incredible the way they've done it. Um, but it's just yeah it's such an inventive and, cre- and creative record mm. like I'll just give it that just the title alone I'll let it in and it took everything yeah open to interpretation fantastic like really clever and I'm sonically like the way that they write their songs like they, they, they essentially use eight uh, not eight string six string bass guitars mm. Like it's not, it's like really heavily distorted basses. Yeah, it's like really heavy, gritty tones that they use. And the deaf, obviously, the deaf tones influence is there, but they obviously throw back to what can I? I can only assume is their early influences, which is like really mathy, techy kind of yeah. stuff. And it's it just sounds so intense, and it's it. Attributes to the production of the record where they just have these really harsh moments and it's just like a cut yeah, into these really ambient kind of washy interludes. And then before you know it, you're into this really intense, mathy kind of breakdown moments. Yeah. And like, I think that's what drew me to this record is like, because oh, I haven't, I've spent a lot of time out of this world of the, I guess, more technical kind of metal world yeah and I thought thought, thought, okay maybe I've slept on this a little bit and I, I there's a lot of bands in this world that I need to pay attention to and to be honest I have actually looked into a lot more bands in this kind of vein mm. since checking out Loathe because you know there's there's part of me that's like the, the hardcore kid that you just like sticks to his own kind of things like that and then Realizes like there are, there is a metal in twenty twenty, which is what this record is. In yeah. Way. Because it's it's creative, it's new, it's. I can I can kind of compare it in a weird way to the Code Orange record because they've they've got their. The, their approach on the on the Code Orange record is very their own. Yeah. Which I feel like they've achieved with this as well. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And again, like just purely based on like the insane guitars and drums and the riffs on their own, like it's just like it's something I haven't heard before. Mm. And I guess that's what drew me to this record a lot more. Yeah. And um, what made me laugh is like 
You see, if do you follow Chino Moreno on Twitter? I don't, but I know that he obviously he tweets two way mirror like every two months. Just oh like, really? I didn't know. That. <laughs> just like this song's fucking great, and he's like. I'm like, is that a bit of jealousy going on there? <laughs> have, have they written a song that you're really jealous of? Because, again, the influence is obviously there, but they just, they absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, so there's, in parts, for me, it's almost like Vane meets Deftones. In oh, terms, okay, yeah. In terms of, like, the... Like you were saying, like you have those like, really scatty moments. Yeah. And then it would just be like a hard break and it will go into, like the ambient sort of side of things. Yeah. It's like those kind of two worlds kind of clashing and colliding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, it's weird that this, when this record came out and like, even before the year started, I tipped this to be a huge year for Loathe. And I think they're unfortunately one of the bands that have suffered because of like, obviously all bands have suffered, yeah. but one of the like ones where it's really hit them because they they did a headline tour literally just before lockdown started. Mm. We're planning on obviously doing stuff off the back of this record and, and things like this. So this was obviously going to be a huge year for them. Um, but because this record came out so early, like I think it was like, yeah, it must have been February when this record came out. I think just like the passage of time has maybe hurt them a little bit. Yeah. Just like... This is like this isn't because it's a bad record, but it's just one of those records that I've found I haven't gone back to loads. Like that first like month or so when it was around, like I did have it on on quite heavy rotation. But as the months came and new music came out, other stuff obviously pre like occupied the space that that previously yeah. had. Um but yeah, I I really like this record. As you say, it's very much like they're kind of. You always hear like bands saying, "Oh, we do it like we create music for ourselves and and stuff like that." But this very much feels like they've got a clear direction of what they yeah. wanted this record to sound like, and what we hear is that sort of thing. And what I really like as well is the mix of the the different vocal styles. Like, I can I can't remember their names but the main vocalist is obviously the guy that does a lot more of the shouting whereas the guitarist does a lot more of the singing yeah but it's it's not that like old trope of metalcore that you used to get when you had those two styles of vocals where it'd be like now here's the clean singing part it's they they do it in a way that when that cleaner vocal style comes in sorry could you do that again <laughs> <laughs> but when that like cleaner vocal style comes in it's there for a purpose rather than a chorus if that makes sense yeah and i think that's what loathe do really well is in terms of like figuring out when less is more and when aggressive when aggression is needed compared to yes pass- passive passivity yeah being i know what you're saying yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah, yeah. like Quite surprised this made your list in some yeah. aspects, well, but it's a very cool record. The only thing, I was, the other thing I was going to mention, well, this discovering this record was one of the rare times where I was like, "Shit, this is fucking awesome!" Like, when are they playing? Oh shit, it's tonight at the Joiners, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, fucking busy." Yeah. So I was, I was kind of bummed because apparently their live show is quite interesting. They're really cool live. Oh, you've seen it? I've seen them a yeah. few times. So they played. 
2000 Trees was the first time I saw them. Yeah. And then they played somewhere else, I can't remember. And then they were on that massive Knocked Loose, Straight From The Past um, crossover show. Yeah. Um, They've got like a really unique like style like as well. Like so their vocalist like when he comes on is like he, he generally wears like a big sort of like kind of like a John Motson sort of like sheepskin coat kind of thing. Yeah. But they're one of their guitarists. He's like a throwback from like the eighties almost. He comes on and he's got like the John Lennon sort of like sunglasses on, but then like one of the like fisherman um, beanie hats, a turtleneck jumper and this big gold chain. He looks like something yeah. out of the Beastie Boys, but he say, just like fucking shreds. I looked, I looked him up on Instagram, and they look like like something out of an All Saints catalog. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they just could make this ripping fucking music. Yeah, um, cool. Oh. I was so impressed. Uh, we'll stick with you. We'll go with number two. Okay. My number two is a comeback record. Is it what? A comeback record. Oh, okay. <laughs> what did you think I, I thought you said a combat record. A combat. Yeah, combat record. <laughs> I'm going to make a combat record. It's a combat record, and it's the record that got me into them. Okay. And that record is Ronin by Rotting Out. Right. Okay. Um, so I... Wasn't massively into rotting out. I never really have been. And I'm going to give credit where credit's due and credit your podcast. Because I listened to your interview with Walter. Mm. And only because I heard about the kind of surrounding stories on rotting out and what their history has been and what had happened to the band. Uh, Not only leading up to the breakup, but after the breakup happened. Yeah. And... um, it kind of like obviously they got a bit of a quote unquote legendary status because of purely on their performances because yeah. like what I've heard is like they headlined a lot of like the uh, oh what was it called F- is it FYF FYA FYA that's it and um, in that and those those sets are still talked about today yeah. because of how like amazing they were blah 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 but again to me it just it was not something didn't click what was. What was the record previous to this? Oh, uh, street, not, is it Street? No, Street Prowl was the one before. They did. So I loved Street Prowl, and then the one after that wasn't massively. But on. Street Prowl was the one that everyone was talking about, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that. The wrong, the wrong Way was the one afterwards, but that was a bit hit and miss. Okay. Yeah, those, those records just didn't really do with me. I just kind of written them off like, yeah, I'm not interested. But again, it wasn't until I listened to your podcast and listened to what Walter had to say and how like candid and honest he was, which made me go back to Ronin, because I did listen to Ronin at first after hearing a track they dropped earlier, which was Reaper, Reaper, which is hands down the hardcore anthem of this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Time, time, time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah, I listened to listen to that track, and I was just like, "Well, that's different. Like a bit more aggressive, blah blah blah." And, but listen to Ronin, thinking, "Yeah, it's a great record," but you know, yet to connect to it. But then I listened to Walter's story and what led to writing this record and what it meant to him, mm. which made me want to go back, and that clicked times a thousand. Yeah, yeah. It just like the first track, Vessel, made perfect sense. Yeah. 
because it's about like he feel him feeling like he let his family down, he let his mum down, and like that you know that he wants to make it up, to make up for wrongdoings and yeah. things like that, and it's executed in such a aggressive way. Which I've noted, it's got the perfect opening and the perfect ending to the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's what I was going to bring, like, say, I was going to say, like, boy, the end record, like, the wrong end song of the record is probably the most sort of like heartfelt this band has yeah, ever been. Yeah. And it's really cool. Like, the way they've done it is really cool that it's. It's a bit cheesy in the fact that he shouts his own name to start the song. Yeah, but it's it's but it's him telling the story. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and like it's just you can feel that what everything that happens to in his life building up to this record, you mm. can honestly feel that with like sincerity. It's, I'm not just saying that. Like you can feel you can feel what he's saying, and like. I feel like this is their most aggressive record as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, and he's got, there's a, there's obviously Reaper's the outstanding track. Like, mm. it's the one that I think people will still be talking about years to come and it will still be like, they'll be in the crowd, please. When shows eventually happen, that's what people will be fucking going yeah. ape shit to. Um, but the one that stands out most to me is the one with Nate Sabalba on. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. His his vocals suit rotting out so well. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so good. Um, but it's just it's just the perfect hardcore punk record. Yeah. Like it is it reminds me in ways of like what early Pennywise were doing, but with a more sort of gritty hardcore attitude. Yeah, I it's, see that. It's like I mean, I guess if you're gonna coin more um traditional hardcore punk you'd think of bands like terror and stuff like that but they've got more of a metallic leaning whereas these guys are definitely a, on a punk more sky and escape punk attitude yeah like it's like going back to street prowl street power uh, street prowl is a skate punk record yeah but it, that's what this is but with a bit more of like a aggressive yeah added value to it I yeah yeah like. and yeah just again based on purely how much I've played this record and how much the like I listened to over and over again and how much the lyrics made sense to, for them to make this record. Yeah. Especially Walter. And like I don't know if you follow him any on any socials. I follow him on that. Instagram, yeah. Yeah. And he's just you could tell that since coming out of prison, wronging uh writing his wrongs and making this record and just making himself new, he's just like become an absolute machine. Yeah. He's like he's a power lifter, and he's like sort. He appears to kind of set himself straight, mm. and like you can hear that on this. Yeah, yeah, and like that's the thing. I think he's not. He was a good lyricist anyway, but he's like really found his voice on this record, and I'll be interesting to see how they kind of go from here, like what they kind of do next, because like this was very much kind of. Similar to like Touche with stage four, with that being like Jeremy's way of, of dealing with that horrific time in his life around the death of his mother, like Ronin feels like Walter's way of dealing with his demons and everything that kind of went with the baggage of him being in prison and stuff like that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the next phase for them is. Um, For my part, like, 
to, still to this day, seeing Rotting Out Live is one of the best bands I've seen live. Like, they have so much energy, and like, it kind of takes me back to being that teenage hardcore kid in mm. terms of like, like even Walter said when I spoke to him, like, weirdly, the fact that Vessel is the first song, he is a vessel for their music, and like, at shows he wants to be the one that leads the energy. So that's why. He always brings that like high tempo, high intensity because he wants to set an example. And I think that kind of translate to this record. Like it's not a fact of him saying like, hey, kids, don't do bad things. It's it's like, hey, kids, these are the consequences of doing your bad things. And this is all the shit, not just you, but all of your loved ones are going to go through as well. Um, and the one track that I can't, I think is Unforgiver. Must be, yeah, it's either Prisoner or Unforgiven, I can't remember. But there's a lyric in it where he talks about ice. And it's such a sharp way he says it. I can't remember mm. the exact lyric, but because of the tone of his voice, he just says, ice, like really <laughs> like sharp. And because, <laughs> and because you know the content, like the context of yeah. who ice are and what they do, you can almost like going back to what you were saying with Gulch, like you can hear that spite and venom, yeah. and it's yeah, it's just a really like like poetic way of like him telling his story. I think yeah. which is really cool. Cool, right? My number two, I'm gonna do some honorable mentions here because this slot, I was tossing and turning between four artists who all very different but all kind of fell under a similar umbrella and I think once I started telling them telling you who they are it'll become clear who my number two is so the first one because I I knew they were bringing out new record I loved their first record and Punisher for, by Phoebe Bridges I loved but wasn't quite what I'd hoped it would be. It was Agreed. still a really good record. I agree. But it was it didn't it wasn't quite good enough for me to make make my te- my top ten. I'll go as far as say it didn't connect with me at all. Okay, that's fair enough. But then so like on a similar line, Failures by Katie Malko. I fucking love that record. It's phenomenal. It's a really good like English take on like the folk singer songwriting side of things. And it was a it was a record when it came out was on heavy rotation then I kind of forgot about it until we started like thinking about this list and I kind of went back to it and I was like oh this is really good but is it good enough to be in there and then the third one before I get to what my final choice is uh is Soccer Mummy Colour Theory like that record like is a kind of a bit sentimental because it came out when I was on tour with Ithaca and that was the van like song because I had control of the music like for three days straight I listened mm. to that record and like it's I fucking I just think it's a beautiful record but the, but the one I'm choosing for my number two is Sugar Egg by Bully nice yeah, and like I wasn't really familiar with Bully up until this year and it was it was a weird happenstance so I came across their previous record which the name of it now has completely escaped me. Um, is it? I think it's called Losing. I'm just looking now. Um, so, I che- yeah, I checked that, that out and I was like, oh, this is quite cool. Like, 
it's in line with stuff that I like. It's that like female voice over like fuzzy guitars. It's ticking a lot of boxes. And literally the following Friday, she dropped this record. Mm. And I, I didn't like have any idea. I was like, oh shit, she's got new music out. And I think, like, ironically, you'd kind of flagged it up as well, even though I'd already kind of checked it out. And I just instantly fell in love with it. Like, it's not reinventing the wheel in any, like, shape or form. But it's just the way she kind of constructs her music is it's so simple, but so, like, inventive at the same time. Like, cause there's elements of like shoegaze in there, but it's like almost shoegaze pop, and it's like it's catchy, but it's dark, and yeah, it's super dark. Yeah, and there's like, but there's, but it's it's weird. It's like darkness, but it's, as I say, it's got that pop sensibility, mm. like that you want to sing along to it, but you're like, oh, this is this is a weird thing to be singing along mm. to, um, and it was like. This is also like in a way kind of sentimental, but is the weirdly the record I put on when I'm cooking, because it's just like it's right. one of those records that like it's just really nice, like it's calming. Yeah. And like despite some of like the stuff she's talking about, like she's talking about obviously a lot of stuff around like mental health and there's stuff about like abuse and things in there. So you think like oh this is going to be a tough listen, but it's it's not. It just kind of like flows really nicely, and like if you weren't to dig into the the content of the material, this could be like a an indie pop record in in some aspects. And I just yeah, I just absolutely loved this record, and it was one that was as I say heavy rotation, and as I say a nice kind of surprise because I didn't know really anything about her her background up until literally the week before this record yeah. came out did i did i put you onto this no as i said as i said so yeah. i'd kind of just by happenstance discovered it then she released the new record so i listened to it and then you were like check this out i was oh, like damn i thought for once i actually beat you to it <laughs> god I've, I've, where were the days where i showed you music god long damn gone it. long gone god damn it <laughs> um yeah great choice i mean one thing that you didn't sort of um mentioned it was like <laughs> it's gonna sound really funny like how much it rocks yeah you know what I mean? oh, it yeah. actually it's like actually like a really abrasive record yeah like it's like the guitar tones well that's kind of what i meant by like, this, like the sort of like shoegaze fuzziness to it yeah. like it's it because of her voice and her tone it's got a pop element but yeah the, the instrumentation yeah. of it is really kind of like gritty and yeah it's, a, it's it's kind of like in a, another weird way, like like the end record, like it's just where it kind of like you said, like the anvil on the stomach doesn't let you let you up to breathe. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what this is like in a way. Yeah, there's not many kind of slow down moments. There's a lot of kind of pedal pedal to the metal kind of. Thing. Yeah, it's definitely like a, so in comparison to like Phoebe Bridges, where a, yeah, so one is slightly so Phoebe Waller Bridges. <laughs> no, Phoebe Waller Bridges made a record. <laughs> they did collaborate recently, though. Who? Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Phoebe Bridges. Are you kidding? Yeah, they did. Um, so her recent singles, um, Save You Complex, Phoebe Waller-Bridge directed the video. No way. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, uh, I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, yeah. Com <laughs> but in comparison to Phoebe Bridges' record, where it's... 
dense in content but light in music in terms of like there's air to breathe in it's very minimalistic whereas bully's record it is as you say like that kind of pedal to the metal it doesn't hang around but i think the record in total is maybe like just under half hour for for 12 tracks mm. so yeah it's definitely it doesn't hang around and it kind of gets in and out but it's definitely one that i went back to a lot yeah so did i cool right before we hit our number ones as always we'll do honorable mentions um i'm gonna get this one out of the way first because if this was a re- full length this would have made my top 10 um and this is vanguard um rage of deliverance i think i flagged this up to you i don't know whether you checked them out or not nope. vegan straight edge band but it's just so fucking hard like but like done well like going back to what we were kind of saying about like ignorance sort of like hardcore and stuff it is that but like i think their vocalist flint like it is all the lyrical content is very like straight edge straight edge vegan vegan which for me is fine like i love that (laughs) fucking stuff and but may not appeal to everyone but it's just like it's just said in such like a poetic way i'm gonna quickly see if I can find the lyrics so I don't get it wrong. I wish there was a hardcore band that did actually say it that bluntly. <laughs> that's vegan, vegan, that's their lyrics. Vegan, vegan, straight head, straight head. I can't remember what the song is, is it? Yeah, so the song's Living Grave. Um, oh, I can't get the lyrics up. But it's a, the content of it is essentially calling a person's stomach a prison for an animal. But the way he says it is just so like poignant and poetic that like anyone who isn't vegan will listen to that and be like, oh, that's fuck like kind of like we, we, we were saying with like RTJ in like, okay, the lived experiences are completely different. Mm. But like if you're somebody that doesn't relate to that, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's a bit yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what Vanguard do. And I just, yeah, I just thought like, if this was a full length, this would have hands down been in my in my top ten. So yeah, I'll give you a little run of other honourable mentions, and I'll say well, what I was going to do is because I have quite a few. So well, that's what I've got a few more, but I wanted to give a bit of a spotlight to that one. So okay. Oh, I see. Right, I was going to quick fire these off. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But as I say, I just wanted to that one in particular. Okay. Okay. You ready? Go. Go. Knowledge, 1988, Pine Grove, Marigold, Envy, Fallen Crimson, Code Orange, Underneath, Soccer Mummy, Color Theme, Thundercat, It Is What It Is, Vanilla, Into the Dream, Photo Crime, South of Heaven, Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutter, <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Caribou, Suddenly, Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia, Princess Nokia, Everything is Beautiful, Moses Boyd, Dark Matter, Moses Sumney, Grey, Freddie Gibbs, Alfredo, Zabulba, Anos El Infernal, Armand Hammer, Shrines, Hum, Imlet, Eve Sumar, Heaven is a Tortured Mind, Drain, California Curse, Gia <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, Mia Gargret, Nas, King's Defense, Salt, Untitled, Christian Lee Hudson, Beginners, Stormlight, Natoma, This is the Kit, On, Off, Off, Off. Done. <laughs> Fair play. I wasn't even going to say album names, so that was that was good. Because 2020 was like so, like if 2020 was good in any way, it was for music. Yeah, I just there's 
these are records that I just could not mention. No, that's like there's a lot in there that you mentioned that I was going to mention, like Thundercat record, fucking incredible record. That Envy record nearly made my top ten. It just like just got nudged out. Um, Code Orange, yeah, incredible. Uh, Angel Olsen's new record, fucking brilliant. Wid, uh, Widwife, Midwife. Um, I think she released two records this year actually, which was were really cool. Um, <clears throat> a band that I wasn't disappointed with, but it was wasn't quite the hype that I lived up to. But it was still a really cool record. <clears throat> um, beautiful. The um, the Nudie Mag uh, full length was really cool. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Umbra Vito. Nice to see Jake Bannon doing a grindcore band. Choir Boy. Um, Infant Island. Unrequited. Uh, as I've mentioned already, Katie Malco. You're the knife. Touche Moray, uh, Fuck, I, I thought the men was really cool. Um, Farm, Hollow Hope was really cool. Uh, an artist I kind of, when I said like digging through Bandcamp, sort of like a synthy artist called Jonathan Bree. He's sort of similar to, in aesthetic of of Orville Peck in terms of he wears a mask like when he performs and nobody like knows his real identity. He okay. his new record's really cool. Orville Peck himself, Show Pony, that EP. I mean. Yeah, that was collaborating great. with Shania Twain is enough to make oh, you no. fucking yeah. want to love that record. Well, considering he just put like a, a, a quite underground debut record. As yeah, well. um, I think I did. I say Choir Boy. I can't remember. No, I don't know. But yeah, the Choir Boy record, uh, Spanish love songs, Life Force, um, that Primitive Blast record's really cool. Pummel Method. I could list hardcore bands yeah. for, for days, so we'll be here for another hour. But, yeah. And really... nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, as you said, like, if there was one shining light out of... Oh, fuck, Svalbard as well. Sorry. Yeah. How can I not mention that? I'm on the fucking record. Um, but, yeah, 2020 was just a great year for, for music, so that was the one shining light. Um I'm going to finish, so let's go with your number one. Okay, my number one. So, I don't know how you did this. I, I basically... So, right, okay, on that then. So, my 10 to 9... No. <laughs> 10 to 2 is kind of hit or miss, but there is a clear number one. Oh, right. See, that, was, that wasn't the case for me. I, I knew... I went from 10 down because I knew there was, like, a good... Uh, eight or nine records that I definitely wanted to include on this, you know, because again, like this isn't ascending order what my favorite records were. This is just 10 records gone to my head that I have to mention. Because when you text me saying, Do you want to do another podcast this year? I said, Yeah, oh, fuck's sake, do I have to do 10 <laughs> records again? And you said, Yes, I said, Oh, goddamn. So, goddamn. God so, I was like, Oh, right. So, I, there was good eight, nine records that I wanted to put on there. So it came down, it essentially came down to the one where I was like, what should I put on here? So originally I had Boren and the Club of Gores record. Okay. Um, but when I realised I didn't listen to it enough, again, I'm basing this purely on how much I played it. That got pushed out and it, and Love and Light by Daniel Avery replaced it. Okay. Again, I'm not massively no. familiar with. I know okay. I know of it, but I haven't. I really... just gave Tim the nod to see if he does know <laughs> what I'm talking about. So Daniel Avery, I got into Daniel about in around about the 2010s with his record Drone Logic, and it was this 
very sort of prominent tech house record that got like a lot of uh, familiarity, brought him out of the line, brought him into the limelight and got people talking about him. And he sort of collaborated with a lot of people and got slowly and slowly more ambient. Um, a couple of albums later, he kind of puts his chops all together for this record. It's called Love and Light because it's kind of split into two. So you've got like, it's, it's released as a double LP. I was going to say, I think I remember seeing it was meant to be sort of two records, yeah. essentially. So one's like purely quite kind of dance tech house, quite heavy. And the other side's more ambient and etherical melodic. And the thing that drive pulled me into this record is like, if you put it on with like a really decent pair of headphones, it captures the live energy perfectly. Mm. Like you can actually feel yourself being like, especially in an indoor venue, like the opening track, um, London Island, it's called. It just starts off with this. It's just purely bass. And like, if you're in an indoor venue, I've had a few. Oh, I had a couple of drinks. Sorry. If you're if you're in an indoor video, you can you know when you can feel the bass vibrating off your nose. And yeah, you yeah. That is what it is. It just it just zones in this purely vibrant bass. And then by the track by the time track two comes around, it's like the beat comes in and it's thumping on your chest. And it's almost like you're you you look around you can hear you can see each other like shouting sort of pumping yeah. up getting pumped up shouting in each other's ear because they can't hear shit and it's like the intense lights it just captures the energy perfectly and by the time you get to about track six everything kind of really slows down and it goes a lot more cinematic kind of like like the lighter moments of John Hopkins or maybe someone like borders of canada mm. so i guess the reason I, I had to put this in because it was like a perfect amalgamation of like what i love about that world all in one record yeah this yeah. year because my my last gig before lockdown happened was was john hopkins yeah so i was actually very lucky because it was not only my favorite gig in ages it was the last gig i can remember before lockdown. yeah yeah and this record reminds me a lot of that night because yeah. it's a lot of the same influences. And again, it's, it's the light and the dark, hence love and light. It's, it's kind of like it was intense pumping house music in one minute. Everyone was up, out of their seats, dancing. Next minute, he's on his piano on a little bag yeah, yeah. and he just had one shining light down on him. And that's exactly what this record is. And yeah. not only that, it in, like I said, it's just it encapsulates the live energy perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think based on that and how much I've played this record, I think this work, this why it deserves to be at my number one yeah. spot. And I think, I think like you're, it's very much like more your world than it is mine. Like I, I like something like John Hopkins is, is one of the ones I'm more familiar with in that kind of world. Mm. But like I kind of dabble my toes in as, and but like yeah, this I can see why this is one that sort of like definitely sits with you mm. quite sort of highly. Um, before I move on to my number one, just because I don't know why you talking then reminded me of it, but it was something I wanted to, else to mention in 
honorable mentions. Um, not so much the whole record, even though I do like the whole record, but the Taylor Swift Bon Iver collaboration. Mm. That track is just easily one of the best tracks of 2020, yeah. I think. So just wanted to quickly mention that. But also kind of segueing nicely from what you were saying with the Daniel Avery one in terms of capturing that live energy, that is what I think my number one record does perfectly, but in a completely different world, in the world of hardcore, and that is Drain California Curse. No, oh, nice. This record has not come off of my play. Like, I hands down listen to this once a week. I think the week it came out, I listened to it every day at least twice, like similar to the Emma Ruth Rundle Thal one. But this is just so quick and so fast and so energetic. And like, I was a fan of Drain anyway, but this just comes out of the gate so like quick and like it's a like it is a fun record yeah. for a hardcore record. Yeah. And they like they just capture that kind of SoCal sound. Really, like you can imagine, like because they're they're essentially all surf dudes yeah. and things like that. You can just imagine like being like down the beach with them, like just yeah. having a fucking ball. Um, but like in terms of like you were saying, like with the bass and stuff of the of the um, Daniel Avery record, like it's what makes this kind of feel live is like Sam's frantic vocals and like the little ad lib bits in it. So like, yeah, yeah. Like they're like, oohs and the owls. Like <laughs> you can imagine those kind of things and stuff that are done live. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like the whole record is in and out in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but like, obviously because of the, the age we're in, like we've been grateful enough for, especially in the world of hardcore of things like hate five, six and stuff. And I remember like watching, I think like it was around the time this record came out, like the um, LDB Fest set came out and then on the release of this, the Hate Five Six, This Is Hardcore one came out and it just fit perfectly of that mould of like seeing that energy live of what the record is and it just, they sit hand in hand. Mm. Um, and just like, yeah, I, I'm one that's drawn to lyrics anyway and like they're not exactly like prominent lyrics but they're just really sort of catchy and like straight off the bat like on the feel like feel the pressure like um feel the eyes of a thousand whatever it is mm. what is it F feel the eyes of the eyes of a thousand vibrators <laughs> <laughs> not quite what is it <laughs> jesus christ someone <laughs> someone clearly had a view to drink <laughs> That is what you said. This actually. That is definitely what you said. <laughs> right, oh, sorry. I feel the thousand eyes looking at me or something. <laughs> feel, the feel the pressure of a thousand eyes staring at me. That's there we go. But like, that's something that like for someone that like gets quite nervous in crowds and shit like that's yeah, something yeah, you yeah. like fully relate to and like going back to like the vocal ad libs like there's a bit in like sick ones where it's like it's just it sounds like nonsense yeah but then he just does this like really like guttural like high pitched scream at the end of it 
and you can just imagine like him live just like stomping around the stage and things like that and um but like even like musically it's just really fast like there's really like fun ripping rip riffs in it and yeah it just goes at like the clappers at a million miles an hour nice. california cursed itself ends with like kind of what we were saying with like reaper with um rotting out you can tell that's going to be like the crowd pleaser getting like people jumping on each other's heads when we're allowed to do it and, <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just to kind of like link it as well, I, I can't remember how you the hell you pronounce his surname, but Sam from Drain obviously is the drummer from Gulch, so mm. that dude has owned hardcore in 2020. <laughs> um, I have a feeling he had a, to do with something of the Hand of God EP as well. So. Yeah, those guys. Um... Yeah, those three bands, they're all kind of, they're all bros, aren't they? Yeah, kind of like... so, like, they did a really good EP this year as well, so, obviously, it cements, as I say, he owns Hardcore in, in 2020. Um, but, yeah, like, as I said, this this was not off-rotation for me at no. all, and, like, when I did my Spotify rap, surprise, surprise, this was number one, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. this is, as I said, when I was putting this together... Like, this was easily my number one, and it was never going to move from yeah. that spot. Nice. What I love about Drain is, like, you don't even really need to, like, you don't even really need to say much about them. Like, if someone says, hey, man, who's Drain? You just say, fun thrash. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Off you go. Have fun with it. Yeah. No, that's that is pretty much, like, it in a nutshell. Yeah. But... Fun and thrash. Put them together. Enjoy. Yeah. And, like, just to kind of on the live element as well, like, I love the fact that they don't kind of posture. Like, Sam runs around in, like, luminous orange shorts and it's just, like, yeah. kind of going, like, obviously, we're saying they're, like, from the same world as Gulch. Like, Gulch obviously don't take themselves too seriously. Mm. And, like, Drain, who are clearly a band that are blowing up, could easily be sort of, like, the poster boys of hardcore for 2020. But no, instead they wear really bright colours. Their merch is fucking hideous. And their <laughs> promo photo was to get some dude doing an ollie over them, which was fucking rad. Um, so yeah, that's that's our top up. tens of, of 2020. Um, nice. As always, just to kind of like look forward to a, to a better future, <laughs> we hope. Yeah, um, definitely. Is there any records on on the horizon for, for next year that you've kind of got your eye on? I tell you what, and this is like, this is something I never thought I'd look forward to, but it's, well, that's probably not the best way to put it, but like, where am I, I'm a bit more tapped into the metal world this year. I've discovered a band called Humanity's Last Breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently they've got a new record out next year, which is sounding very interesting. Yeah, I've, like the few like singles they've they've put out are really good. Oh, cool! I'm glad you I'm glad you've kind of got into it because like it's again, not it's again it's not something I'd normally it's go not to. my world at yeah. all. But like it's only because you know it's only every now and again someone would tell me about a metal band. I was give I was about to give props. So Sonny and Gary that do the heavy. Yes, yeah. I'll because like. We've actually been jamming, like me and those guys, and been having a couple of jams, and they've actually turned me on to like some of the bands that they listen to, which is like one. This is one of those bands, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll give these guys a go. And like, it's funny when my old band used to go to our recording studio in. We used to record with this guy Dave in Brighton, 
and I'll be like, oh, okay, we're going to see Dave again. I'm going to get a med- metal education. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd be so out of the loop of metal. It would be really nice to come home with a handful of bands that I'd never heard of. Yeah. And just absolutely plow into the discography. Like, Dave would go, here's... Um, oh, who did you turn me on to? Um, oh, I can't remember that. Anyway, it, like, just like, oh, I'm, I've been out of touch of the metal world so much. And then... I'm excited about it again because yeah, yeah. There's, here's this band who are doing things a little bit differently and like Humanity's Last Breath of one of those bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they've, they've put up a couple of singles and I'm like, this is super interesting. I'm super intrigued to see where this goes. Yeah. Because again, it's like, it's an evolution of metal. That's what it is. It's like, it's different. It's, it's even more aggressive than you could picture anything in that world. Like, they're obviously they've come from a degenty kind of world. Yeah, yeah. But they've made it their own, and I think that's super interesting. Mm. And that in a in that world, it's everything. A lot of those bands sort of do sounds very samey, very familiar, and you can kind of palm it off with one, with one brush saying, oh, "Okay, yeah, that's just going to sound like a Meshuggah wannabe." Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. This is not that at all. So yeah, that's why I'm so excited for this record. Yeah. Um, I think for me, there's about th- three records I'm really excited for. Um, the new Tiger's Jaw record, because the singles mm-hmm. they've dropped from that yeah. sounds like for, off the back of... I, so I think a lot of people may argue against this, but I think Spin is their best record to date. Yeah. And this new record stuff just sounds like a progression on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the new Portrayal of Guilt record... Oh, shit, yes. That yeah. is shaping up to be... Mm some new level shit like i hyped them up last time with their what like i can't remember the name of the record yeah um and i was a little bit disappointed but this one just it's already looking like it's going to be a fucking behemoth yeah it's it's sounding super like um sounds like very their own yeah it it feels like they found their own kind of yeah definitely and from what i've heard rumors they're looking to do something like quite interesting around the actual release of it. Cool. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say because I don't know how much of it's been okay. under Cloak and Dagger. Say yeah. no more. Um, but the third record that I'm really looking forward to coming out is the new Torso record. Like, mm. for anyone that knows me, I love that band. Like, fast, core, straight edge, what's not to like? Um, and that apparently they've been in the studio recently. So, yeah. Excellent. That is a record that I'm very much. I think the only thing I think maybe I might be, um, looking into is like that I've seen Loyal. Well, he's dropped one song, Loyal Karner and Madly have been collaborating. Oh, awesome! So it looks like I'm hoping for a full record would be yeah. amazing. Other yeah. than that, I'm not too clued in on what's going on next year yet. No, um, I'm just trying to. Th- oh, there's going to be new every time I die as well. Yeah, I've I've seen they're doing some something quite interesting, live stream wise. I don't. Do you know anything about that? I did see it, but I can't remember what it is. No, it's like a, they've they put it out usually, as a telethon. Yeah, because obviously usually every year they do their um, tid the season, don't they? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, but they're not doing it this year because yeah. of COVID. Um, I'm hoping there's going to be another Converge record because. We've had yeah, we've had too. other projects from from members of that this year. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's sort of the only ones I can kind of think of really. What's Reggie looking forward to this year? 
Thanks as always, and we'll catch you soon.